Well, good morning. Everyone doing okay today? Oh, forget it. <laughs> Everyone doing okay today? Yeah. Quick show of hands. How many of you are grateful that Jesus is alive this morning? How many of you are grateful that he has saved you from Satan, sin, and death, and that you have a hope for tomorrow no matter what today may bring? It is good to be with our God, isn't it? My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If you're a guest, welcome. This is a safe place to ask questions, to express doubt, and to find hope. Um, Even though I'm one of the ministers, you have allowed me to do those things here, and I am so grateful that I get to be a part of such a good church that loves people and that is made up of flawed but saved people. And so wherever you are in your journey, whether you are simply exploring faith or you are a zealous run after Jesus kind of person. We are so glad you're here this morning. And for those joining us in the cafe or for the first time on YouTube Live, we've moved from Facebook to YouTube because it's a little easier for people to find us, to get in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. And you've picked a great day to be a part of our gathering because today we begin a brief new series entitled Circles Are Greater than rows. Now we'll get into that and explain that here in a moment, but circles are greater than rows. This week I had uh, one of those dad moments. How many of you have ever had a parent moment? Any of you have had, and it can be anything, maybe it's, it's a, yeah, my kid's awesome, or it's like, your son is calling you moment to your spouse. Any of you ever have a parent moment? Well, I had one of those, yeah, parent moments this week. I got home on Friday and My wife met me at the door and she said, hey, you need to go upstairs to the bonus room because Emma is holding church in the bonus room. (laughs) What? She goes, just go with it. Go upstairs. Your five-year-old kindergarten-age daughter who has never met a stranger is upstairs and she is having church in the bonus room. So I go upstairs. I wish I'd had a camera because I'd show you. I wouldn't simply tell you, but I didn't. I wish I did. But I went upstairs. I peeked into the bonus room and my daughter is standing on a chair. She's got her little Bible right there. And she has lined up on the couch upstairs all of her little stuffed animals. And she is giving them one of the greatest Hellfire and brimstone sermons. And I'm going, where did she learn that? And in the middle of it, she does what every preacher wishes he could do. One of her stuffed animals evidently was beginning to mis, you know, misbehave. And she goes, Pinky, you stop that. Don't make, me, no, don't, don't make me come over there. And I'm going, that is my girl. And it was this funny moment of watching her, how even though she was by herself, she had gathered around herself a community, a group to be with. How many of us know that we were made to be with people? Uh, this morning, I was uh, getting ready. I don't know if you do this, but as I was getting ready, I, I did one of those things that, again, it would be embarrassing if you were there and I was doing it, but when I'm by myself, I'm not embarrassed at all, but I, I began to talk to myself when I was by myself. D- does anyone else do that where you, you may have like a conversation with yourself? And thank you for those of you who raise your hand. I don't feel quite as schizophrenic. That's nice. And I, you know, it's one of those things I do that. And I, I think about my grandmother who used to say when she talked to herself, she'd say, Hey, I just like talking to someone intelligent. And so, you know, that's why she talked to herself or whatever. But it's one of those things that even when we're by ourselves, we we long to be with other people. We we long to have a relationship. 
And so for the next few weeks, we're just going to kind of dive into what does it mean to desire a community and more importantly, what should and can and will that look like? Because I want you to know something. Many of you today have figured out that your life is about a particular thing. Maybe for some of you, your life is about getting to a certain point in your career and you say, if I can get there, my life will have meaning and value. For others, it's going to be in what we do at home. And, and maybe it's, it's, hey, if I can accomplish these tasks this week, then I will have succeeded. Or perhaps if you're in school, it's if I can get these grades, then I will have succeeded. And for others, it's if I am known, not necessarily if I know, but if I am known by people or have a good reputation. And for many of us, we have said, if I can hit X, whatever your X is, we've talked about this then my life will have meaning and purpose. But I just want you to know this morning and over the next three weeks, my, my goal today, here, here's my simple goal. My goal is not that you change anything you're doing today. My goal is not that you quit doing one thing and start doing another. My goal is not that you do a 180 in one area of your life or anything like that. That's not my goal at all. Here's my goal. It's a, it's a low level, but it's an important starting point. Here's my goal for today that we would simply consider the possibility that our success in life, the thing that will determine if all the years we have been given are worthwhile, the thing that determines when people gather around your casket, when they've painted you up and you look beautiful in that pine wood box, in that moment, the one thing, the one thing that will determine whether your life has had meaning Purpose, dare I say, success, is this one thing. Were you a person who received and created community with other people? And are you a person who had community with and invited other people into community with God. I'll say it again. The thing that will determine if you are a successful person, more than anything you make in your bank account, more than how many people know you on Facebook, more than any of these artificial measurements that we use to determine value, the thing that will determine the success of your life is do you have communion, community, loving relationship with God and with other people? And if we can just grasp that simple goal, I believe you don't have to do anything right now But if you will grab onto that reality, your life, the trajectory of it will change drastically. And here's what I I, want to do. I just want to ask three questions this morning. We'll dive down into each one of them, but three questions and go from there. On the back of your bulletin, there's some space to fill it out, put some notes on there. You're welcome to do whatever you like. You can even just draw pictures if you're bored or if you're like, hey, I think Josh looks like this. You can draw a little stick figure and, you know, whatever you want, okay? But let me give you these three questions. Here's the first one this morning. Here's just the question, why do we crave community? Because here's the reality, before we discuss what community is or how it ought to look, you've got to answer the question, why in the world are we designed that even as a five-year-old little girl holding church with stuffed animals, what is it about us that craves community? And there's all sorts of things you may look to to prove that everyone craves it. You say, yeah, I know someone, he's a real hermit though, he doesn't crave community. Everyone wants somebody. My grandfather, I love him, he's since gone on to be with Jesus, but he was... The true definition of a hermit. He lived in a double-wide trailer in Paris Landing, Tennessee. Any of you even know where Paris Landing, Tennessee? You're my people, yes. 
I mean, his friends were some people who lived around town. I don't even know who they were really because he didn't really go see them, but he'd reference them every once in a while. When we would come visit, we'd like go and sit in the same room with granddad in silence. And that was our visit with granddad. But he longed still for that community, even though it was silent community. This is why we see people who gather together in sports leagues. You say, no, 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 they're competitive. Yeah, if they're competitive, there are all sorts of solitary ways they can be competitive. But they do it together. This is why we see people with common hobbies or calling friends or doing things. This is also why we see horrible things happen, such as gangs or moments like we've witnessed over the past week in our nation where people, because they feel an identity or a community with one group of people, do great damage or harm to another. It is still because of a desire or craving of community. So why is it? Let me give you just a few suggestions here. These are maybe five perspectives or views, and I want to give you four. And these will be the ones that if, if you kind of listen to what's going on around you in culture, there will be five things, four in particular, I want you to pay attention to before we get to the fifth one this morning. That's one we'll drill down on. But the first one is simply this. If, if you talk to um, maybe our, our friends who do not have a Christian worldview, they may say, well, it's evolutionary, That the reason people want community, crave community, is because of evolutionary biology. Meaning, to survive, you had to group up with other people. Ancient man, if he wanted to go get himself dinner, the giant woolly mammoth, think the Flintstones. But, okay, do you guys know, quick question, do you guys know who the Flintstones are? Oh, good, okay, okay. (sighs) My heart is okay. So the Flintstones... I mean, this is why you got buddies, because you could not take down the mammoth on your own. So survival was predicated on community. Or what about this one? Maybe it's developmental. The nurture that we get as children, we see our parents and the way they interact. And so the nurture, that's why some people say we crave community. Others will say, no, 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 we crave community because it's motivational, what we get out of it, the reward. So I get with you and you get with me. And when we're together, I feel better. We have common things, and so when we're together, you encourage those commonalities, and it encourages, and I just feel happy and good. Or, or maybe I have weaknesses, and you have strengths, and so when I'm together with you, you bolster me in areas that I need, so there's a motivational reward. Or what about this one? For some, it's just a matter of, hey, it helps me order the world to be able to see the groups that people are in. So uh, how many of you remember in school the different groups or cliques in school? So, for instance, in School, you might have the jocks, the athletes, or for others, and again, I'm generationally going to, some of you are going to go, I don't get that. Others are going to go, I don't get that. So my generation, you're going to go, I get that, okay? So my generation, just hang with me here. So for some, it's going to be the grunge crowd. Any of you remember the grunge crowd? Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not this. It's this. Okay, there we go. Uh, For others, it's going to be the nerds. How many of you are... Remember the crew? And some of you are like, I am one, or that's just me, or, or the mathletes. Any of you a part of the mathletes crew, um, or the chess club, or whatever? So you have different groups, and as you see people in groups, it helps us order the world. So these are some different perspectives or ways that people will describe the why behind community. But here's the interesting thing before I show you a fifth one. Although these are different, they are all the same in one very important way. They are all the same in this way. What do I get out of the group? What do I get out 
of the community. So do I get survival? Do I get nurture and do I see how things go? Do I get rewarded? Does this help me order the world? And so all four of these, it's about me, me, me. Now here's the problem. Although there may be value in group dynamic with survival and nurture, reward and order, and I'm not saying those are bad, but here's the reality. Anyone who builds community on what I get out of it will find the strength of their community only as strong as what they get. And when they don't get what they want, their community dissolves. This is why our nation continues to fracture, because it is a what do I get out of the community. Does this make sense so far? This is a yes, just, just so I know I don't have to repeat myself. We good? Okay, we're moving on either way. So this is, these are the four dominant ones, but let me give you the one that's going to be obvious and some of you are going to go, I know, I know, I know what the answer is because I grew up in church and so we're going to talk about not any of these, but rather we're going to look at this fifth one and, and this is where most of us, our brains are going to like click off, you're going to just cycle down, but hang with me here because there's a fifth perspective of why you crave community and I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the answer right now, but then I'm going to explain it, okay? Here's the answer. The biblical answer for why you crave community is this one little four-letter word, and it's a good four-letter word. It's the word love. Everybody say love. Now do it with the most sappy, saccharine sound. Ready? It's, it's like love. Ready? Love. Okay, that is why you're created. The biblical picture is love. You say, where does this come from? And, and we could look at a lot of different examples of biblical community. We could go to Acts. Chapter 2 in the New Testament where the church is gathered and they love each other and everything's great. But listen, if I took you to that section, it's not a perfect community. In fact, from Acts chapter 2 to chapter 5, that loving church ends up lying and dying. So it's not a perfect one. I could take you to the community that Jesus formed, the 12 apostles, and I could say this is what community looks like, except it's not a perfect community either. You have a man who betrays Jesus, a man who denies Jesus, a man who doubts Jesus, and a whole bunch of men who run away from Jesus. It's not a perfect community. You say, so where will we get the perfect picture of community? The why behind the what. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you just a couple verses this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And if you will, go ahead and pull this up. And I just want you to see this. This is where this craving comes from. And I, as we go through this, I want you to pay attention to the personal pronouns of this verse. This is Genesis 1.26. And I just want you to see this. Then God said... So who's speaking right now, church? Who's speaking right now, church? Very good. It's God. Then God said, let... What's this word? Let us... Make man in, what's this word? Our image in our likeness. So who is speaking? God is speaking. But this is one of those really weird little moments right now. In other words, let me just kind of define it this way. In the beginning, the first circle spoke. You say circle, wait a minute, it's God. Hang with me, okay? Did you notice these little pronouns, us, our, our? And the question is, who is God talking to? Is he like talking to all the birds and the bees and the animals he's made? No, because he's, he's not saying, why don't you help us make everything? Is he talking to the angels or other celestial beings that he's made? No, because he doesn't need them to create. Who is the us? 
The us, and we're going to dive deep for just two minutes, hang with me. The us is the Trinity. That's a word you will not find in Scripture, but it's a word that describes the three-in-one God, that our God is Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's get that up there. The Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit, three-in-one. The word Trinity, the triune, three-in-one God. Now, here's, we don't have time to unpack this as much as we need to, but let me just give you a real quick explanation. Here's the short explanation. How do you describe the Trinity? We don't know how. There you go. There have been many ways and different types that people have tried to explain what is, what is this three-in-one God like, and, and it's really a difficult conversation. Some people say, well, he, he's sort of like this, but then that doesn't make sense. And some people, he's like this, but that doesn't make sense. Let me give you the best definition or illustration I know, and it's still imperfect. It breaks down, but let me give you one. Everyone hold up your right hand. Can you hold up your right hand? Very good. All right. Now, I know you've got five fingers. Go ahead and hold down two of them. Can you do that, two fingers? You're going, I didn't know there was going to be a test. Okay, hang with me here. You have one hand held up, and how many fingers raised? This is not a trick question. How many fingers, if you're holding down two? You have three. Okay. Now, in my case, it's my thumb, pointer, middle finger. They are all three independent of each other. You might even want to wiggle them just to prove that they're independent of each other. My thumb is not my pointer or my middle finger. My middle finger is not my pointer or my thumb. They are all independent. They can work independently or together, but they are still part of one hand. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and so on and so forth, but they are one God together, meaning this. The first community was and is God. When you wonder, why is it that I desire other people? It is because there was a God and is a God who is a communal God. He is three in one together. Father, Son, Spirit for eternity together. And I just want you to envision for a moment, what would this community look like? They're facing each other. It's face-to-face relationship. They know each other deeply. There are no secrets in the circle. There's no hesitation in the circle. In fact, all the thoughts of the Son, the Father knows. The Spirit knows all the thoughts of the Father. There's this interconnectedness and knowledge and love. And and in fact, if you read through the Bible, throughout Scripture, you'll see over and over. In fact, Jesus talks about the Trinity in Matthew chapter 28 when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, you see throughout. And so Jesus speaks highly of the Father because in their relationship, it's always about what they can give, not what they get. So the Son says, I only talk about what the Father tells me to because the Father is great. And at Jesus' baptism, the Father says, this is my Son whom I love. He's my boy. So he's bragging on Jesus to the world. And the Holy Spirit comes and he just brags on Jesus. You do what Jesus says. Jesus is the man. Jesus is Messiah. Can can you imagine the Holy Spirit or Jesus or the Father ever like arguing with each other? Or, Or like two of them talking badly about the other one behind the other one's back? Like can you imagine the Holy Spirit talking to the Father like Jesus thinks he's all that. Almost like he can walk on water or something. 
Can you imagine if the son began to pick on the Holy Spirit? He's like, man, he always wants his hair just right, but it's blowing in the breeze. He's just, you know, what is it? Can you imagine if they were ugly to one another or dishonest? No, because they are interconnected and to harm the other is to harm oneself. Does this make sense so far? So God says, let us, let us, let us make mankind in our image. And so, verse 27, so God created man, and this word Adam does speak about an individual, but in a moment you're going to notice it's not just a men that God creates, but all people. So God created man in his own, say this word with me, image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So what does this mean? God says, okay, this is who I am, But we love each other so much. Think about it this way. God did not make you because he needs you. God made you because he loves you. It's like he had so much love within himself, he said, well, we just got to spread it around so he begins to create other little people. Now, let me kind of illustrate this. This word image is an important word to understand community. Uh, To do that, I need some help, though. So I I need five uh, helpers. First one, Evan, come on up here, will you? Thank you. I need four other people. Uh, can I get four? Come on up, Sam. Yeah, let me get uh, three more. I, I see a hand. Yeah, you little buddy, come on up here. Okay, yeah, you can come right on up. I love it. Let me get two people who are over the age of 12. Okay, good. Come on up here. And, and let me get one more right here. Yeah. All dudes. Okay, fantastic. Come on up here. Come right on up here. Will you come stand right here with me? Come on up here, guys. Okay. Now, You just all stand here. Evan, will you come stand up here for a second? Thank you. Everybody say, hi, Evan. Evan. This word, image, is an important word. The word in Hebrew is the word zelem. Everybody say, zelem. Good job. Zelem is a very important word. For in the ancient world, when there would be a kingdom, the ruling power, the king in this case, Evan. We might also call him Evan Almighty. (laughs) Just came to me. Okay. Evan, the king, says, I want my kingdom to know who I am. Evan says, I want them to know my awesomeness, my magnificence, my hulkishness. Any other words you ask? I forgot the ones you asked me to say. Oh, he's got, okay, no, no. And so he says, I want them to know who I am. So what I will do is I will create little zealums, little images of myself, carved images often, or statues. And what I will do, well, let's just do this first. We need images of Evan to go around. So I'm just going to kind of put this on you right here. Just make sure that stays. It may not. So hold on, if you will. All right, let's just, let's, uh, we got another little image of Evan. Okay, you go, kind of hold that there. Make sure it doesn't fall. Can you hold this up right there? Hey, little Evan. Hold, hold it. Yeah, there you go. And then one more right there. I'll let you uh, just hold that. Okay, can you, uh, whoop, Evan fell down. Can you all say hi to Evans? Now, here's what I need you to do. Evan the king would create images of himself, little statues, pictures, and say, I'm going to make zealums, and I'm going to send them throughout the kingdom in cities far and wide so that 
Those who don't know what I look like, who have never seen me, can simply look at the zealum and know who I am. So I'm going to send you zealums. Would you go out maybe somewhere in the middle section over there? Just go real quickly. Will you come down right this section just somewhere? Just go stand there near your mom and dad. That'd be great. I tell you what, pick, a, pick an aisle, pick an aisle. Just go quick. Yeah, there you go. And as you kind of go around, would you just kind of you know, turn the Evan Zellum around. Let people see the Evan Zellum. Doesn't he look good this morning? Do you notice the smile on the Zellum? Now, here's my point. In the beginning, when God created everything, God said we have this perfect communion, this perfect community, and I want others to not only have it, but to display it. So I'm going to make little me's, little zealums, and I'm going to send them out into this world so that the picture of myself will be clearly seen. And so he makes us in his image. The reason you want community is because you are not an accident. You are handcrafted by God for a purpose and on purpose. You are the zealum of God. And this is why then in chapter 2 and verse 18, we won't go there because of time, but God simply says it's not good for man to be alone because for him to not simply to experience but to reflect who I am, he must have a community, not only with God, but with other people. So he begins to create others. He creates a woman for man. She's called woman for when man saw her, he went, whoa, man. And he makes, I know, this is bad this morning, I get it. And so he makes the first little community. So his big circle, he says, come into my big circle. And he creates a little circle of man and woman and all is perfect. And we're told a beautiful thing. They were naked in the garden, but they were without shame. Meaning they could show themselves no secrets because in the image of God, there is nothing to fear. Now, here's the second question. By the way, Zellums, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Go ahead, uh, Evan. You may sit down as well. Would you thank them for helping out this morning? So why, if you are made in the image of God, why is it that we crave it, but we also hide from it? And again, the scriptures give an answer that no other theory provides adequate answer. We're told simply this. Let's go to chapter 3. In chapter 3, we're told that an enemy enters in and he simply calls into question the goodness of God. And he says, you know, the image of God that you represent, something's wrong with him. And, And for you to experience the fullness of life, you need to step away from this God. He told you not to eat of this fruit, but if you eat from it, if you have autonomy from God, you will then have greater authority. You will be greater without God. And we're told that the man and the woman, they believe the lie. And in that moment, their eyes are opened. What that means is they see the secrets. They see the shame. They see what they have done. And they go from a circle to being broken. And it's a horrifying moment for when this happens, they feel shame. They begin to hide from community. Notice they then create fig leaf coverings. What a pathetic way to hide. And they're not hiding from the animals, they're hiding now from one another. The reason that community is hard is because of sin, because of selfishness. The four reasons we talked about earlier, evolutionary, developmental, motivational, or ordering, those are all self-based reasons for community. 
And yet those are the things that continue to drive us apart from when it's all about me, it can never be about we. And so they separate, they hide. God says, where are you? The saddest verse in scripture, where are you children of mine? And Adam says, we heard you and we're afraid. And so we hid. We saw we were naked and God said, who told you you were naked? And this is where the circle continues to fracture. Adam says, oh God, it's your fault. By the way, that's a horrible way to defend yourself. It's your fault, God. You gave me this woman. And so God looks at Eve and she says, God, it's not my fault. It's the snake that got into the garden. And the circle is broken further and further and fractured. The reason relationships and community is both a craving and so hard is because God made us and we broke us. Does anyone else see that in our world today? So final question, and then we're going to call it a morning. Here it is. What reconnects us to community? What is it that can kind of bring us back? And here we go. Are you ready for the difference? Circles greater than rows. Let's just kind of talk through this real fast. Right now, this morning, we are gathered in rows, and I'm glad we are. Rows have great value because rows allow a lot of people to gather in a smaller space at one time. These are, for pragmatic purposes, a good thing. We love rows. But when it comes to reconnecting, circling back, coming back to the way God made you, a row, although it's good, will never get you to what you desire. Now, let me give you some things. Rows are good, but circles as well. Let me show you rows. In rows, you get to learn about Jesus. We gather every Sunday, and the goal is that we would not simply learn about ourselves, but we learn about Jesus. We can do that in rows, but here's what you can't do in a row. You can't live like Jesus in a row. You do that in a circle. Let me show you some other things. In rows, you can know a little bit about a lot of people. So in the mornings, we say, high five someone. Hey, what's your name? I'm Bob, I'm Sally, I'm John. Whatever it may be, you can know something about a lot of people, but it's in a circle where you know a lot about a few people. You cannot know everyone in this room by name and detail the way you can in a circle. In rows, it's all about receiving. So we receive communion. We receive a message. Paul and the team do an outstanding job leading us in worship. And we talk about getting to receive the gift of music. But it's in circles that we get to give. Where we get to pour out. In rows. Notice this. In rows we get to care about people. So you hear about the needs in our church. You hear about what's going on with uh, Blazing Hope. Or with the different ministries and the ways that we're in the schools, you get to care about people, but it's in circles that you get to care for people. You don't simply hear about the need, but you begin to address the needs of those around you. And in rows, it's easy to be lost or hide, we might say. But in circles, it is hard to hide, isn't it? This is one of the reasons a lot of us run from this because this this begins to open us up. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear, that this is what you have been designed and created for, is not simply to sit in rows, but to gather in circles. I'm not going to tell you how to do that this week. Next week, we're going to dive deep into practical ways to step across the barrier from rows to circles. But today, all I want you to know is this is what you were made for. In fact, this is what Jesus prayed for you. In John 17, he prays, Father, let all of them... All who will come to know me, all who will follow me, let them know 
me and let them be one as we are one, just as Father, Son, Spirit are one. Let them circle up. And you need to know that there is a great cost to bring us back into the circle. Have you ever thought about the cost to the Trinity? Jesus Christ, the one who had never known anything but perfect love, would be subjected to hate, torture, and death. The Father, who had spent eternity with the Son in perfect fellowship and love with His boy, to get you and me back, would watch His Son tortured and killed. And the Holy Spirit, who has never known anything but perfect obedience, receptivity, and openness from others, would willingly come to earth and be quenched, ignored, and profaned. They all gave up something monumental to bring you and me back into the circle. Listen to me. If you're not a Christ follower, circles are optional for you. But if you are in Jesus, circles are not an option. Jesus died. God gave the Spirit let go of so that you and I could come back into the circle. So listen to me this morning. When you think about circles and rows, here's the way as you think about it. Circles. Every time you forgive someone who hurts you, you are entering back into the circle. Every time you encourage someone who feels defeated or extend compassion to stand alone... Or whenever you confront someone in love or open your heart to a friend, whenever you reconcile with an enemy, whenever you devote your time to a child, whenever you say, I will share the good news of Jesus, you are stepping back into the circle for which you were created. And I'm telling you, there is nothing in this life that will bring you back in the way that a circle will. As you step back into the way that you were created, in fact, this is what you were created for. And if you neglect this, church, I just need to be very clear. If you neglect this one thing, then you will die a failure. You will die without experiencing what God made you for. But if you will step into the circle with God and with others, even though it will cost you. Yes, it will cost you, believe it or not, to step into circles. It will cost you in ways that it cost the Trinity to step into circles. But if you do, if you do, then no matter what else you may do in this life, no matter where your names land on buildings or nowhere, how much you earn or don't, no matter how many people like you on Facebook or don't, at the end of this life, you will have experienced the one thing for which you were created. This is what it means to be a circle kind of people. 